welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast. And here is your host, Ryan Mack. Welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mack. Now, e-commerce has certainly provided many opportunities for individuals to start their own businesses and have access to a global consumer base. And as the economy goes through some corrections, more and more people view starting their own business or being a micro-merchant more attractive. And it's led to huge increases in the number of individuals creating a micro-business or SMB. But from a payment service provider or merchant acquirer perspective, onboarding these new micro-businesses and SMBs can sometimes be a challenge from an identification process as from a compliance perspective, they need to make sure that they know their customer, but also want to make sure that the onboarding perspective is as frictionless as possible. So to dive into how this balance can be achieved, I'm joined by Matt Gonzalez, who is the Principal Product Manager Lead at Akata, and Tim Sloan, who is the VP of Payments Innovation at Mercator Advisor Group. So there's certainly a lot of insights and data to unpack on today's episode. So without any further delays, let's start the show. So Matt and Tim, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, where we're going to be taking a look at global identity verification processes for onboarding micro merchants and SMEs here. Um, and now Matt, I know that your organization has this fantastic chart that kind of breaks down kind of a, a market level view for us here. Uh, but before we go into that, perhaps maybe you could kind of define for us how it is that we see micro merchants. So let's put a definition around micro merchants so our audience has a better understanding of what we mean when we say that. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Uh, firstly, excited to be here today speaking to you. Um, micro merchants is, is a bit of a new term in, in, in the industry. Um, what, what we define it in for the context of, of our discussion today uh, would be a business that's uh, accruing one to $5,000 in revenue a month and typically under 10 employees. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's kind of the the thought that a lot of people have, especially when we're kind of talking about micro merchants here um, for it. Um, but now let's let, let's dive into the data aspect of it. And for those of you who are following along on paymentjournal.com, uh, the chart that we're going to be referencing here uh, is going to be provided in the article below. Uh, so Matt, maybe perhaps you could kind of pull out some of the key highlights of this graphic um, or this visual data uh, that we're talking about here today in terms of like here are the key takeaways that an individual should get when they look at this this chart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this this infograph or, or chart was produced by the World Bank. Uh, it's actually part of a larger report that aims to quantify both the size of small and medium enterprises as an addressable market, as well as the size of the unmet demand for access to financing uh, from these businesses. This really should be of, of interest to anyone in the global financial services industry, as these smaller companies are increasingly applying for credit or attempting to set up business accounts to gain access to financing and other B2B services. Uh, but let's, let's get into the numbers. First, looking at addressable market, uh, which is really covered in the broader World Bank report uh, from where this, this chart originated. And I believe there's a, there's a link in the chart itself. Uh, it's, it's estimated that there are 55 million micro merchants and over 25 million small merchants in emerging markets. Uh, and of course, more are surfacing because of, of the COVID crisis. Um, and these, these companies really pack an economic punch. Formal, small, and medium-sized organizations contribute up to 40% of, of national income measured by GDP in emerging economies, uh, which really is, is a low-ball estimate when you think about it because it doesn't consider informal organizations as part of that calculation. Um, and of course, this is a growing market as well. Uh, it's estimated that seven out of 10 jobs created in the next 10 years will be generated by these smaller businesses. 
And this isn't just true for, for emerging markets. Uh, if we look at small and medium enterprise uh, as, as a whole, they represent about 90% of businesses worldwide. And this growth is, is, is continuing in developed markets such as the US and Canada as well. Uh, for example, between 2002 and 2012, these SMEs created 77% of new jobs in Canada alone, and nearly the same percentage is, is true for, for the rest of the world. Um, I did mention COVID briefly. Um, this is actually quite fascinating. COVID has, has turned out to be an accelerator for small and medium enterprise growth. Uh, according to the US Census data, the onset of COVID you know, it initially did lead to a reduction in new business formation in the spring of 2020, but there was an inflection point in July when these applications began to skyrocket and we ended 2020 with the highest volume of business applications on record, uh, up 24% from 2019. All of this growth means increased demand for financing, which we can actually see in the infograph here. Uh, access to financing is a key constraint for SME growth, and it's the second most cited obstacle facing SMEs growing their business in emerging markets and developing countries. Specifically, the World Bank identifies in this infograph a gap of 20 or 5.2 trillion in unmet financing needs for SMEs. So if I were working into, in the B2B financial services space, I would pay very close attention to this unmet need and try to find ways to look at serving these you know, potential customers without increasing my risk exposure by you know, just opening the doors a little bit wider. Yeah, Matt, this is Tim. I'd agree with you 100% there. The rise of SMEs, and SMEs have always been a challenge to address. I mean, it requires a different organizational structure. You need to be more uh, careful about how you onboard, how much it costs you to onboard but they represent a huge opportunity. It's been recognized here in the States with some companies that have focused exclusively on that. But here in the United States, you have a different structure and more information to make a decision. What's great is machine learning and AI is starting to be able to pull together more data to be able to make more faster, smarter decisions that should be able to help you really go after that market. Yeah, absolutely. And Tim, you you raise a really good point there around around players that are that are you know focused you know on on addressing this unmet need, and we're seeing that with our customers as well, both with working directly with those new players as well as as talking to more established players um, that are really trying to take advantage of the the, the situation here. Um, but this all leads to to a rather competitive space. That it is. Yeah, now, now for this, I kind of want to go a little bit downstream to be able to kind of go upstream here uh, for this next question. So when uh, your organization, Akata, is kind of talking to your consumers, so PSPs, acquirers, uh, fraud and risk uh, directors of underwriting teams here, um, they're obviously kind of coming to you and saying, hey, here's what our client base is kind of saying here are what the pain points are uh, that we're struggling with. And I know that you had brought one up, um, especially with SME growth here. But let's dive into that part of it a little bit deeper. And maybe you could kind of pull out what are you hearing from the industry in terms of specific pain points from your customers in this year, 2021? Yeah, yeah. As part of my job as a, as a product manager here, I'm, I'm constantly talking to our customers. And in this space, 
the the pain points that we've been hearing have been remarkably consistent across the board. Uh, you know, we're hearing from our customers in the B2B lending space, the payment space and marketplaces uh, space that they're seeing very high drop-off rates in merchant application and sign-up flows, flows largely uh, a result of this influx of, of SME applications for their services uh, and financing. These drop-off rates are, are largely a result of the friction associated with heavy-handed uh, onboarding flows that really prioritize information collection to enable extremely high-confidence risk decisions and there's not a lot of thought put into the customer experience here. In, in 2020, this problem has been magnified um, for our customers due to this, this kind of influx of applications from sole proprietors and small businesses, uh, a direct manifestation of some of the, the statistics we just covered. But we have lenders that are now helping with the PPP programs in the US here. Uh, buy now, pay later services are expanding their offerings to platforms like Shopify that are really targeted at these smaller businesses. And traditional PSPs um, and lending services that were operating out of brick and mortar locations were forced to move their businesses online and compete directly with some of those uh, uh, newer players or, or, or players that are focused more on, on addressing the needs of these SMBs such as Stripe and Square. Uh, many of our customers are, are finding that their onboarding experiences that may have worked in the past for larger organizations uh, are not transferring quite as well or quite as successfully for this next generation of businesses. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that these sole proprietors and SMBs are bringing with them the customer experience expectations from the consumer world. You know, um, when shopping online in this day and age, it's very, very easy to sign up for an account on various websites. And that's the expectation that these, these new set of customers have. And so if you know, your onboarding experience is too heavy handed and you're, you're looking for a, a lot of information up front or processing time uh, to make a, a underwriting decision is too long, uh, you're, you're going to potentially lose this, this customer. Um, this is really a problem because in this situation, it, it is not a consumer situation. You know, the lifetime value associated with a business is significant, significantly higher, and so is the lock-in effect. So any customer that you lose during this application flow represents substantial potential revenue loss. As a result of this, our customers are all looking to create flows uh, in their, their, their sign-up processes that integrate risk decisioning early on. In that, in that workflow to identify low-risk applicants early and get them into an approve or pre-approval state in minutes or hours instead of days as many as, as is where many of them are at today. Uh, and this is this is where you know looking at where can we um, where, where where can information or document collection be reduced um, for these lower risk applicants? Um, you know, when can that happen? Um, how can we make better decisions up front? as opposed to later on in the process, which oftentimes leads to extensive collection of information or documents or longer processing times. Uh, but this is of course, you know, non-trivial in and of itself. And as you expand out for a lot of our customers, which operate at a global scale, uh, the consistency and availability of data across, you know, the world is uh, really critical to, to, to make this happen. You know, it, the, vectors of risk are just all over the place because it's the, the, 
the risk is going to be associated with the different um, uh, categories that the merchants are in, your visibility to their supply chain, to their inventory, to their shipping. Um, it's to the documents that you collect and how well you can validate those documents. And so there's huge variations in the way different companies go through that process of digital onboarding. And some of them haven't even made it to digital yet. They're still collecting <clears throat> uh, copies and PDFs of paper documents. Um, so it's also a time of huge change in the market as companies going down market are also starting to leverage some of the new technologies that help you validate who it is you're doing business with. Yeah, and those those challenges really increase in, in a world where everything has to happen dig, uh, digitally. You know, I've talked to some customers that are are literally getting on a Skype call with a with a customer video conference with a, with a customer to to validate or a potential customer to validate that this this person is really applying for this application that the business is legitimate. Um, sending folks to the business location to try to verify and and an address is correct for that business. Um, and, and it's, it's really become a challenge in this, this, this digital world to, to handle some of these processes. You know, I just refinanced my house with a institution I've been with for 30 years. And I'll tell you, I've never thought about leaving an institution so much as having gone through this process. They were holding my old mortgage and they had to have copies of every document, even the ones originating from them. I had to collect it and give it to them. It was ridiculous. And there is just not a small business person that's going to put up with that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there there definitely is some level of document collection that needs to take place. Regulations um, and compliance, you know, do do have some constraining factors there. But you know, one of the consistent things that I hear is that these these compliance checks are are compliance checks. They're not helping you know uncover the actual risk of a, of an application. You know, which is why for underwriting the process can be that difficult, and 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 why you're going through such a, a painful experience is because these these businesses are are trying to make a a decision here and and not expose themselves to to undue risk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly find that the that the consumer element in terms of just the whole process, because uh, Matt, as, as you pointed out, it is very much a, hey, I see how this operates on the consumer side of things, and I see the frictionless experience that's going on here. Why is that not getting translated to this part of the process? And I think we're kind of at an interesting point where you're starting to see more and more consumers demand that frictionless experience, especially on the business side of things. They, they say, hey, we know that this is possible. So why is this not carrying over to this side of, of the experience here? Um, but but when we take a look at, at this problem, and I think that you kind of pointed out quite a few of the issues uh, that are going on in the industry here, what are some of the, the key takeaways or the first steps that say a PSP or acquirer can really start as they start to think about to tackle the space? Yeah, the, the answer is really looking at the consumer space here. Uh, the strategies that, that are used uh, to, to streamline those application flows in the consumer world uh, can and have been successfully applied to the, to the B2B world. Specifically, PSPs and acquirers can tackle this challenge by conducting a risk assessments early 
and applying friction dynamically during the application flow. So if we break this down into a couple of steps, the first would be identify a spot early in the application flow where enough information is on hand to make an informed risk, risk decision. Um, and take a look at how workflows can be optimized around that decision for those low risk cohorts um, and, and treat those, those, those customers and applications a little bit differently. A critical piece to the puzzle here is leveraging non-authoritative data, data that goes beyond the bank statements and business records and uh, government IDs. One example of this would be banking institutions in Africa, which actually use social uh, media reviews and telecom information to make underwriting decisions, not, not your typical approach. Um, but they, they leverage this to, to enable them to make better decisions and clear more good customers without applying undue friction. The next step would be to identify a pre-approval or early approval experience for this low-risk cohort. The goal of which would be to get them locked in as soon as possible and bypass additional high friction application steps that may be unnecessary uh, for, for underwriting in these cases for these lower risk uh, uh, applications. This can be done by initiating onboarding experiences, including uh, you know, extending a limited line of credit to lower risk applicants or bringing them to a, a page that enables them to start getting uh, set up if it's a web experience. Um, in, in parallel to underwriting decisions taking place um, so that the customer can, can feel like they're already you know, past the gate while, while this longer term and, and in most cases uh, will continue to be manual underwriting decision is made. The last piece of the puzzle then is, is actually implementing these risk assessments, the dynamic high and low friction workflows and that um, onboarding or kind of pre-approval state to lock in those low risk applicants the use of variable risk assignments in order to be able to uh, streamline the onboarding process is something that even financial institutions are wrestling with here in the US. You know, they, they want to be able to do it. Again, regulations are surrounding them. But it gets particularly interesting when you're in other countries where the assets that you have that can be highly trusted aren't as available as they are here in the US. So they don't have the history that is, is accessible like we do in the US. So you have to find other things to be able to gauge that risk. Yeah, and so Matt, for, for this next question here, I kind of ask, it's almost kind of like the job interview question, uh, if we could. Uh, so we've talked about some of the complexities that exist kind of um, in solving for this onboarding problem for micro merchants. Perhaps maybe we could kind of, you know, encapsulate this entire conversation. Maybe you could kind of provide us with some bullet points uh, as kind of key takeaways of, okay, here are the complexities, but then maybe you could also kind of pair it with of how Akata specifically is solving for those problems in the industry that, that we'll have you outline. Yeah, well, the first the first challenge is is really about getting funding for this, um, you know, getting getting the resources to implement this, you know, an onboarding experience that applies friction dynamically is doing those those early risk assessments. And and, you know, in the past, this hasn't really been a priority for a lot of the customers that we, we talk to, but they're looking at the, the loss of lifetime value. Um, and potential revenue that they're experiencing. And it's really starting to justify the costs here. So, you know, the complexity or challenge there is, is starting to go down. 
Um, but for, for those that, that kind of need the ammo to, to get the resources to implement these, these types of experiences, um, you know, looking at drop, drop off rates is, is really critical. You know, we, we talked to a customer that invested a ton of money in getting leads into, into the top of their, their, their funnel. And um, they found that they were losing all of them to, to competitors because their onboarding flow was just too, too high friction. Um, the, the next complexity and where Akata is, is helping our customers is with those risk decisions by using non-authoritative data and enabling them to more confidently segment applications into those high and low risk cohorts with less upfront information collection. Um, a number of Akata's customers, including several of the world's largest PSPs, do rely on our identity verification API and manual review solutions to help them assess the risk of the individual or individuals associated with a given merchant application. And through conversations with these customers, uh, we actually worked to develop two brand new products that are tailor built to help with this use case by expanding the data and risk assessment that we can provide to encompass the business entity itself in addition to that individual or individual, um, just to provide a more comprehensive set of, of data and risk assessment on that application. Our merchant onboarding API and merchant review web app are launching in early April, uh, so depending on when, when you're listening to this, uh, both products will help assess the risk of an application by providing identity verification and risk signals for both the individual and business entity associated with that application, as well as some cross checks between the two to help understand the relationship between the entities. The API is designed for integration into a machine learning model or rule system, depending on the level of sophistication, uh, to help perform those automated risk decisions uh, and make an assessment really early in the application processing workflow uh, with just details like uh, phone number, um, business address, uh, business name, individual name, emails, and, and, and phone numbers. The merchant review web app using the same data um, is really designed to help with those gray area applications and provide manual review agents with the data that they need uh, to make faster routing decisions. If anyone is, is interested in learning more about these products uh, or Akata itself, we actually have some information available on the web. Um, and I apologize for the slightly long URL. I'm sure we can, we can probably put it into the, the notes for this, this episode, um, but that would be at bit.ly forward slash onboarding dash Ikata. Uh, again, that's bit.ly forward slash onboarding dash Ikata. You know, I love the idea of using the information to improve the way you go at your opportunities, just to be able to sort your opportunities into those which are uh, clearly a, a lower risk and therefore more likely to actually make it through the entire process all by itself is a giant step forward. Then being able to apply it through each phase of that onboarding process. Very cool. Very tricky. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's it worked quite well in the consumer space, as I mentioned, you know, we work with customers that onboard on, on the consumer side, folks, with just a phone number. Um, and so, of course, you, you have more information available here, and that's really how we, we started helping um, um, some of our customers that, are, that were looking at these, these um, applications is, is through the risk assessment and that non-authoritative check using, um, using some of Ikata's data. 
to understand the risk associated with the individual, which, which really goes a long way in understanding the, the whole picture of, of the risk associated with that application. Yeah, very nice. I look forward to some more use cases and, and uh, success stories. Congratulations. Thank you. And it was really great talking to you today. Yeah, absolutely. I think on, on that note there, uh, Matt, Tim, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. We were taking a look at global identity verification practices for onboarding micro merchants and SMEs. And I hope to have you both back on the podcast real soon. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you both. <laughs>